from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope-free edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Blake, the attorney, Mason. We've got local sports to talk about, occasionally a national topic or two. During football season, we have a gambling segment um, that may return when we start to make some Final Four and NCAA tournament picks, but that's still far off in the distance. And certainly my favorite portion of the podcast where you go to the X-verse, hit up the hashtag, ask any anything. You can ask a question on any topic. doesn't have to be sports. It can be sports. I will attempt to answer them to the best of my ability. Rick, uh, I don't know where, where my mind was on this. I, I, I guess this took me by surprise. When, I guess when they, when they revealed the, uh, the seeds, uh, the NCAA tournament selection, when they revealed the seeds, I, for some reason, the fact that Selection Sunday is March 17th threw me off. I didn't realize it was such a so, – so far off. It always seems like the NCAA tournament for me starts, unfortunately, the week of NFL free agency. So I got to tie it to the – tie the two together. I kind of feel good this year because now I can have a full Thursday of drinking and watching games. I mean, there's nothing better to me. That right. is the best day of the, well, maybe Friday is a little bit better because it's on Friday instead of Thursday, but those two days are two of the Magic. best days of the year. Yeah. I mean, they're, that, they're usually, they're usually not for me because I'm, I'm half, you know, half watching games and doing a lot of work because of free agency. So I feel I'm glad this year of selection Sunday, but I stupid me. I didn't realize it was a week later. Yeah, well, assuming neither of my my teams are playing on Thursday, I feel like we need to get together and watch those games for once. We're never able to do that usually. But we'll start this this show off with college basketball talk, Skinny. And what a night for the local teams on Wednesday night, the night before we're recording this podcast here on Thursday morning. We'll start with Kentucky, who they beat Auburn 70 to 59 on Saturday and just a really impressive win on the road. Then they turn around on Wednesday and they're up. 15 points early in the second half at LSU. And then the momentum turns. It becomes a close game. Looked like Rob Dillingham had saved him with a miracle shot late in the game to put him up by uh, by one. And then Tyrell Ward buries them at the buzzer with kind of a crazy play. Uh, it looked like a broken play. LSU was about to lose the ball along the baseline and then threw it back in him under the basket. and And he puts it through at the buzzer to win it. Heartbreaking loss for Kentucky, 75-74. Skinny, I mean, last week we were on the path of, I'm telling you, hey, I just don't trust this team. I'm past that point. They're, you know, We'll see what happens when they get to the tournament, but my trust is gone in terms of them being able to go on the road and win big games. Then they get that Auburn win, and it's like, oh, well, they're going to pull me right back in here. And then you have this LSU performance. I mean, what do you make of this Kentucky team after the last two games that we just watched? Yeah, uh, let's start with the LSU. I mean, the the ending was fluky for sure. I mean, it was a fluke play that they scored on to win it. But the fact that you pissed away a 15-point lead was not fluky. That's the problem. Uh, you know, if they'd have come out there with a win, you certainly win. I mean, you play the game for a reason. The wins are better than the losses. Um, but, again, you lost on a fluky play. I, I am going to go back to the Auburn game a little bit. And, and I, again, give credit where credit's due. The, the, that crowd was amped up. I mean, they were – you know, Kentucky is always the standard bearer, right or wrong, in that league. Um, and Kentucky handled all of that and, and, and really, um, you know, led that game, kind of owned that game from start to finish. I don't know how much of that game you got a chance to watch, Rick, um, but I'll be honest with you, Auburn missed a bunch of wide-open threes. I mean, a ton. And sometimes that's just luck's on your side that night, and it's just one of those nights they just can't hit the broad side of a barn. Uh, You know, they were 4 of 26, and honestly, out of the whatever 22 misses, 10 were clean looks that they probably make 60% of the time clean looks. That's 18 points. That's a win. Uh, But again, you don't apologize for it. They did win that game. I I do think this – 
Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard have to be on the floor for 30 plus minutes apiece. Period. End of story. No debate. Stop fiddling around with it. Stop kissing DJ Wagner's ass and be done with it. Um, to me, that's part of the issue. Those two guys have got to be on the floor 30 plus minutes a game. And that's the bottom line. Well, you know, it's funny because you've been doing the thing with UC's roster all year where you'll say, like, if you could combine a C's Bandego's defense with Jameel Reynolds' offense, you would have one heck of a player. I know we're talking about much more talented guys who are contributing in a much bigger way with these Kentucky guards, but between Dillingham and Wagner, it's like if you could just have Dillingham's offensive confidence all the time with Wagner's defensive confidence and what he brings to the team on that end, you'd have a, a sensational freshman guard. The problem is it just seems like it comes and goes a little bit for both of those guys. And, and it's tough to, to rely on one of them all the time. I, I will be honest though. I, I think if you, your if your best lineup is on the floor, you would have two defenders in that lineup, two quality defenders in Thiero and, and, and on Yenso. Yenso more is a shot blocker than anything else. Not a right on ball defender. And I think you could live, with the lack of defense from Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham. Uh, and Reeves gives you functional length to help rebound. Thierro's obviously a really good athlete and long. He's the one that blocked the shot on the baseline last night that led to that fluky ending. It wasn't on Yenso. It was him that, that blocked it. I think that's your best lineup. But that also means you're going to piss off your superstar freshman. Bradshaw doesn't get minutes. And then DJ Wagner's going to be limited in minutes, which honestly I think he should be. And, and then Edwards is limited in minutes. Tough luck. Too bad, man. I know they're your guys. Maybe that hurts you in future recruiting. I don't care about that if I'm a Kentucky. I, I care about the now. And the now, your best five on the floor. And again, they don't. They can't play 40 minutes. And DJ Wagner should get some minutes. And Edward should get some minutes. And Bradshaw should probably get some minutes. But not the, the, the vast majority. 150 minutes should be taken up by those five guys. Reeves, Thierro, uh, Shepard, Dillingham, and Onyenso. 150 minutes. That's 30 apiece on average and maybe even more. That's your best lineup. And be done with it. I can't believe we've gotten to this place with the front court rotation that Onyenso is clearly the go-to guy, and he played 36 minutes in the win at Auburn. 36 yeah, minutes? He was, I didn't even know he was capable of that, much less that you would want that to happen. Agreed, but uh, it, it came off that 10-block performance against Ole Miss, and again, you could argue that some Auburn reason they jacked up threes is they couldn't get to the rim because of him, and there's some yeah. truth to that, too. Again, I'm sure if you want, they missed a bunch of open looks, but at the same time, you're forcing them to take those. If they're going to keep missing them, great. Let them do it. Yeah, they did, Skinny, but that's the thing I was going to say. There are a lot of teams that have had bad shooting nights, and Kentucky didn't hold them under 60 points. Sure, no, right. Because they couldn't stop straight line drives to the rim because they couldn't figure out ball screen coverages. This game, they were on it defensively. Now, you're yes, right. They, they, they gave up open shots, but they weren't having near the mental lapses and breakdowns and ball screen coverages and underneath out-of-bounds plays and all those issues that they've had most of the year when they've had those really bad defensive games. Those didn't show up in the Auburn game regardless of Great. Auburn missing some threes. I, I do agree with you that Auburn missed a lot of open shots in that game, but that's all part of this. You know, I mean, sometimes – Teams are going to miss open jump shots, and and like you said, you're not going to apologize for that. I, I guess um, to kind of wrapping this Kentucky segment up here, like where does it go from here, Skinny? Do you, do you, are you at the point where you're just like uh, th this team clearly has the potential to play with anyone in the country, and that's what you hang your hat on as a, a Kentucky fan? Is when they're at their best, they are good enough to contend. Yeah, and, and Saturday they get a chance to prove that again with the first place team in the league coming to Rupp at four o'clock in Alabama. Um, you know, you got a chance to suck the fan base back in again, and then you've got three winnable games in a row at Mississippi State, Arkansas, and, and Vandy at home, and close it at Tennessee. But I just don't have faith they can do it consistently enough. And and I will tell you, when you lose on Saturday, and, and listen, Alabama is the first place team in the league. There's, you know, that there's in theory in a vacuum. There's no shame in that because they are really, really good. But at the same time. 
my lands, what's that arena going to be like if they go down 16 to four or six, whatever it is. And they try have to dig out of a hole and they can't, Oh my Lord. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. They've got to win this game at Rupp having the, the issues they've had at Rupp arena this year. They have to win this one at Rupp. That, that would, that would be tough to, to see them lose another one at home. All right, Cincinnati. We're going to talk about the the two Cincinnati-based teams here together because UC beat UCF 76-74 on Saturday, then turn around, lose 80-76 to at home to Oklahoma State on Wednesday. Oklahoma State, one of the, the other terrible teams in the Big 12 along with West Virginia, one of those games that you circle and say, got to win that game. UC at home, not able to get it done. And then Xavier lost its third straight after falling to Providence, 79-75 on Wednesday night. That came after a week off. They hadn't played since their last game last Wednesday at Seton Hall, which was an embarrassing loss. So uh, Skinny feels like basically the at-large hopes are done for both of these teams. They're now playing out the string on uh, maybe trying to catch fire and, and make a run in their conference tournament, but more than likely, I guess, maybe looking at an NIT or the end of their season here soon. Yeah, I think the realistic thing was win the three home games, the Oklahoma State game, the Kansas State game, the West Virginia game, which really be more avoiding avoiding two bad losses. Kansas State wouldn't be a bad loss, but again, you, you needed to win those three home games and then go steal one of those three road games um, at TCU, at Oklahoma, and I'm, I'm drawing a complete – oh, yeah, at Houston, um, which – again was going to be hard to do you now are almost going to have to sweep those three games because those are your three those are your three tier ones left I mean and that's downright impossible I mean there's no realistic fan that can suggest that that takes place so to your point um I did people riding the roller coaster I did get a text last night I, I my basketball team my high school team had a game so I didn't get a chance to watch UC um we ended about nine o'clock and so i started scrolling through text messages and the first one i see is in all capital letters by wes it's from a, a friend of mine who's a huge uc fan i think they're they're over it i think that's again we've talked about that's a little premature at this stage of the game the, the thing for the uc one again it, it feels like it's feeling like for both these teams it's the same thing every time when they lose it's for xavier the front court for uh for uc it's it's different guys give you different things on different nights. And there's just no level of consistency. You know, Dan Skillies goes, what, three for 10 or three for nine last night. Day Day Thomas, I thought it was based on the box score, was outplayed by Jizzle James, yet he played far more minutes than Jizzle James played. And then there's the mysterious situation with Victor Locke, and who doesn't even get off the bench anymore. I mean, that feels weird. Well, it feels even more weird because we spent the last show last week talking about how Wes Miller's like defending him against right. – giving him a hollow defense against all these remarks from and criticisms from fans and, and the media. It's like, I, I don't know what Wes Miller's point here was to say that Vic was playing well when he clearly wasn't playing him out of position and starting him and playing him all those minutes when it clearly wasn't working out. And then now he's just benching him and give him no opportunity at all, which is fine. That's his prerogative, but I don't understand why coaches lie and say the things they do publicly last week when you're saying, no, Vic's fine. He's We just got to get him going. He's going to continue to start and all these things. That, that just doesn't make sense for me uh, to me. Skinny, I did get a ask any anything question about okay. these two teams that I want to bring up now to you. Which team is better set up for success in the next two seasons, in your opinion, Xavier or Cincinnati? I'm going to I'm going to say at the moment neither just because I don't neither roster at the moment is is set up in the future to go win games in the two leagues that they're in the Big East is a gauntlet the Big 12 is a gauntlet you need to upgrade both rosters I have more faith that Sean Miller can do that than West Miller because he has done it at a high level before multiple times both at Xavier um and at Arizona so I would have more faith in that but from a roster standpoint 
neither one of these rosters is poised for that. And, and, and again, I, I, I'm not going to crap on this kid, but don't tell me that Rayvon Griffith is going to be a difference maker or things like that. I, I you know, I think he's going to be a nice rotational piece, but you don't have, you got no NBA dudes on your roster at the moment. None. Yeah. Like no offense. And, and Rayvon may be great. I mean, he, he has a lot of upside obviously, but if he was a difference maker, he wouldn't have redshirted this year because they needed a difference maker. They needed a yeah. guy that was even had the potential to be a difference maker in his career this year. They just don't have that type of firepower or talent right now. So if he was that guy, he would have been available to them this season. Um, I, I'm with you. you. Do, I just, here's the thing. You need to do better in the portal and get a 6'5 fat forward from Butler. That's what you need to be better. I would say both of these teams, you're, you're dead right. that they're. I, this is a great question by it whoever is. asked this because – I really don't have a good answer to who is better set up for success. It comes back to what you just pointed out, which is who, which coach do you trust more to get this thing turned around and get a roster in place right now? And Sean Miller just has a, a better track record of that. So you're going to go with him. But there's also this whole other aspect that we talked about on last week's show of at least Wes Miller is locked in at UC. He ain't going anywhere. I mean, I guess the concern with Xavier is what happens if Sean Miller were to leave this season and you're starting all over again. So um, that, that's a tough question. And I, I think I, I would lean Xavier and just say, I trust Sean Miller more. Yeah. So obviously since that Ohio state news came out, this team is kind of tanked. Now some of it's certainly uh, schedule related, although last night's not scheduled. You, you should beat Providence at home um, when you're pretty much full strength. I mean, I think that's well, pretty clear in my opinion, but it, it feels, it feels weird since that news came out that this team has just suddenly gone, yeah, we're done. We're good. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the thing for me is, and, I, and I've brought this up a few times, when people have brought up the idea of, especially the Seton Hall game where they came out and they were down like 18-2 to two or 18-4 to four or whatever it was in the first few minutes of the game, people were bringing up distraction, were the players distracted? And that's, like, people are going to say that when you lose in that fashion and it's that embarrassing, you just fail to show up completely. I, I understand that, but I've been saying all along, this team is bad enough to do that against anybody. Correct. Like they didn't need the help of a distraction to put together one of those performances where they just don't guard, they don't play so, with toughness, they don't have a lot of heart. It, it wasn't as much point at the players. I'm with you. Like I said, like, I mean, you could go to Seton Hall, lose the way you lost anyway. There's no question about yeah. that and, and, and things like that. Question to me is though, is how distracted is Sean Miller and where is his mind at the moment? And that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question that I don't expect. It's a rhetorical question, to be quite honest with you. But you know, is he checked out? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I definitely don't think he's checked out. I think that guy just eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball all the time. I don't think he's capable of checking out of a season. Like even last night, he goes off on the Big East officials after yeah. they lose that game, and he was teed up by Roger Ayers for what he said was basically just saying that's five thousand a row now. Talking about Providence, you know, get the benefit of five thousand against Xavier in a row. Um, I, I, I don't think he's checked out, but I do acknowledge that there has been kind of a little bit of a weird vibe around the program and his press conference and things he's been saying, it's been a lot of complaining about the fact that they had to play uh, Houston and Purdue in the two conference challenges this year during the non-conference schedule. Yeah. Boo-hoo. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of stuff like that. And then the officiating thing last night, it's, it's kind of been a little bit of a, him singing a sad song over the last few weeks. Yeah. To wrap that question up, it is a great question. I, I and I, I know he's asking for an either or not a, he's asking for an A or a B and we're yeah, not an either. Yeah, we're giving him none of the other way. I need not a neither, but I, I go back to Sean Miller has, has a proven track record as a coach roster builder where Wes um, simply does not at a high level. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to because, quite honestly, neither of them look like they're set up for a lot of success in their current conferences and the way their rosters are set up. But those are so fluid from year to year now. Right. It's, just, right. it's going to change as soon as we get to the spring transfer portal season. 
All right, let's move on to the North Skinny. They split last week in Wisconsin, beating Green Bay 58-57 on a game winner with seconds left. And then they lost at Milwaukee on a game winner with seconds left. Um, I guess my question for you about this NKU team is, do you think they can secure a top four seed in a home game with a first round buy in the Horizon League tournament? They currently sit in fifth. They're a game out of fourth and a game and a half out of third right now. Yeah, it, it feels like there's so much to leapfrog, though, because they're tied with Milwaukee and Cleveland State in that fifth spot. And then Wright State's fourth. Youngstown is actually a game and a half up in third. And then the other two teams have pretty much secured Oakland and Green Bay. So that would be the pipe dream portion of it. That's why it feels like that Milwaukee loss is a little bit of a gut punch because you win that game, then you are ahead of them and you are squarely in the mix to get to get one of those top four seeds. Yeah, tied in the loss column with both right. the fourth and the third place team. So you'd feel pretty good about that. Now, the other part of that is, Wright State, you still get to play them. Last last game of the season at Wright State. Be on the road. Yep. Um, also, they play Cleveland State tonight, Thursday night. As as we're recording this, they play Cleveland State at home. So a couple of other- big opportunities for the teams around them there to pick up wins, and then you have IUPUI and Robert Morris in between, which in theory should both be wins. So my question would be: Is three and one enough? I mean, it will just depend on what those other teams around you do, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, if you're looking at Wright State, they have to play. They played Detroit, but then it's Oakland, Purdue, Fort Wayne, and NKU. Those are three tough games. They could easily drop at least one, if not two, of those. Um, if you're looking at Youngstown State, they play Milwaukee, they play Green Bay, and then they play Detroit. So Detroit should be on a win, but there's a potential for them to lose one or Detroit's two. Detroit's hot at the moment. Detroit's hot, man. They got to win. That's right. They did win a game over IUPUI on Valentine's Day. Shout out to Detroit. But uh, I think that's what I go back to is that uh, like NKU has a pretty favorable schedule down the stretch. So at least they have a chance here. If they go undefeated, they win the last four games. They've got a really good chance to be in that position. And, and that's all you can really ask for. Yeah. Hitting into that two game swing that, that you were on last week. If I had told you one and one, I think you said, I'll take it. It might've come differently. It might've come in a different manner. The one that's the gut punch is blowing the lead to right state at home. That's the one that you're going to look that, that, that I hate the, say that might be the one to look back on and go, that's what cost us one of the top four seeds. Yeah, it definitely could be. And it's so important in the Horizon League with the way they have it set up. Again, if if you didn't catch that, the top four teams, all the top five teams all get a buy into the quarterfinals. The top four teams all get to host that quarterfinal game. So it is a, a big, big deal. You're only one game away and one home game away as a, as a higher seed to going to Indianapolis and getting to the semifinals of the conference tournament. It, it's been really good to NKU the last few years. They'd obviously like to get that opportunity again here this year. Um, Anything else on the Norse or any of our local teams, Skinny? I do have one more college basketball topic to bring up for you. Yeah, no, just a a crazy weird night. It felt like it just one by one, they kind of kept gut punching you of UC was first in the night, then Xavier, and then the way Kentucky. And and I know obviously people in our marketplace are not fans of all three, but it did affect three different segments of this marketplace fan-wise, all in a span of whatever it was, a couple, an hour, hour and a half. How many people do you think do that, that watch like, all three teams pretty regularly. Um, I would say UC fans watch Xavier. Xavier fans watch UC and very few probably. I mean, Kentucky's on national a lot, right? Um, and probably you just catch it cut just because. I just know myself, and it's not just the journalists in me. It's the, you know, growing up here, you know, going to multiple UC games, going to multiple Xavier games. Obviously, being a graduate of the University of Kentucky, 
I end up watching them all if I can, um, just be, just because, and, and obviously to talk about it. But yeah, that's a great question. I don't think there's probably a ton to be honest. I I love it. Like I schedule my weeks around when are the three teams playing, and obviously with NKU, I'm at all their right, games too, right. so I throw them in the mix. But I schedule my week around. It's like we're traveling. I'll be like, oh great, when we get to the hotel, UC is going to be on at seven or whatever. And I've gotten a couple comments, remarks like, why do you care? Like what? That's why do you watch that? And it's like. Like I just like watching the local team. I'm going to watch college basketball. Why wouldn't I watch teams that I have some knowledge of and some connection to and that are like somewhat interesting because they're in our area? I'd, I'm surprised more people don't watch the local teams regularly. And it's funny because people probably identify you as the Xavier guy. They identify yeah. me as a Kentucky guy, as a Kentucky grad. They identify our friend Chad Brendel as a, as a UC guy. But Chad's much like us. Chad will watch Xavier you know, religiously, watch Kentucky religiously to be able to talk about them and because he likes college basketball. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, it's not necessarily that I'm. I have to root for all these teams, but it's like if they play a game and I'm not able to see it, like last night, both of those two close games. I usually rush home. I get on Synergy and I try to watch what happened, at least the right. second half or the exciting part. And um, I'm just a little more surprised that the fan base is here because we have such great college basketball. We have so many really interesting programs that are on a national level that more people aren't swept up in that and caught up in just the the daily happenings of our college basketball team. So, all right, we'll wrap it up with this, Skinny. Rick Pitino uh, went off the other night on his own team. Uh, We have some abbreviated comments here from his rant. I don't know if you saw this. The boss himself, the coach, didn't like the fact that we – Hold on, let me rewind here. I don't think they move well laterally. I don't think they're going to pick it up in next week. Um, I think they're slow laterally. I mean, Sean Conway gives you everything he can. He's slow laterally. About five guys are slow laterally. Even even the Celtics when we lost, I've enjoyed every minute being a Boston Celtic coach. Didn't like the fact that we lost in that following year, but this has been the most unenjoyable experience I've had since I've been coaching. You have any second thoughts of taking this job? No, not at all. It's not St. John's. It's my team. I think they're very respectful. They hear, but they don't listen. It's taken me a month to get them to throw bounce passes. Actually, two months to throw bounce passes. Just thinking of getting ready for Georgetown because Georgetown could definitely beat us. Okay, so that was Rick Pitino. That that also uh, shortened some of his comments. There was a part, the part where he was talking about so-and-so is slow laterally. He went on to name pretty much everyone on his roster there and then go, he's slow laterally, he's soft, he's slow laterally. Like six of the guys were slow laterally, I think. So that seems to be a major issue for them this year. Uh, Skinny, I'm watching those comments and immediately I flash to this this screen right here. I, I can picture myself at my computer talking to you and I'm like, what is Richard Skinner going to say about these Rick Pitino comments? Because I can see you nodding along in approval going, absolutely. They took him two months to throw a bounce pass. I know exactly how that is, Coach. Or I could also see you be maybe being on the other side of this and saying, this was a little bit too much even for me. You're getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the one that constructed your own roster, so that's on you. If you know you, you did not see some of that lack of athleticism in the in the uh, process, I do appreciate the honesty of a coach. Sometimes I wish that was the case, but again, you're you're rolling your own guys under the bus, and I'm not sure that was the case. Now, to this point, and I think this is maybe again, I'm I'm 11 years younger than Rick Pitino, so I'm certainly in that older age bracket for sure. And I deal with this as a high school coach. Now, we can't formulate our own roster. We get what we get, and that's fine. And I love the kids we've coached. But to his point of they, our kids, I think, are really respectful. Uh, I've enjoyed every minute of coaching them this year. It's been a blast. But at the same time, there are times where I'm like, 
I've said the same thing for two months and we still don't do it. I mean, we run an underneath out of bounds play. It's the simplest thing. It's a box set with two curl screens and guys diving back to the rim. We still haven't run it right one time in a game and we've walked through it a thousand times in practice. And it's like, I'm not sure what am I supposed to do to get this through to you guys? You know, last night we, we played a game against a team playing a really high zone. I just said, go attack the middle and shoot it. We overpass it, throw it out of bounds half the time, and we end up losing the game that I thought was winnable. Um, and again, we play hard. They're respectful. I love it. it was senior night. I love those seniors that, 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 that participated. I know our head coach does too. Um, but I understand his point that I don't know if that maybe, – maybe that's today's player of they do, they do hear, but they don't listen, and they still want to try to do it their way, and they think their way works. I had a coaching friend I was talking to a few weeks ago and we were talking about some of the guys on his team and one guy in particular who he said, you know, this is a college coach. And he goes, he's an unbelievable kid. He transferred in this year and ever since he got here, everything's yes, sir, no, sir. And he goes, honestly, I wish he'd stop with that because he's terrible. He goes, yes, sir, no, sir, but he screws it up every time. You know how frustrating it is to look back at a kid who's being extremely polite and want to scream right at his face that you just effed it up again. I would rather he look at me and call me an mf or something, so it'd be a lot easier to be mad at him. We've got one of those kids, and we've got a my bad kid. And I, one th- oh. After the 25th my bad of a prize, I said, enough of your bad. You're right. Just stop being at your bad. Yeah, Pat Ryan, the uh, legendary uh, – Volunteer assistant at NKU and Dean of Discipline at Holy Cross High School, but definitely baseball. He he once said said to me, I, I was a my bad guy on JV baseball, and he, he once said to me, Rick, everybody in the field knows it was your damn bad. Why don't you just make the play next time? It's great. And uh, it got me to stop saying that one. But that's that's a tough one. You feel like you're being a good teammate when you're my bad you guy. You do, but but I, I don't don't look at me and say my bad. Yeah, dude, I've watched it now 23 times in this practice. I, I don't, yeah. I, yeah, it is your bad. You're correct. Everyone's aware. Just quit, quit calling attention to it. Yeah. So what did you think of Patino's comments? I thought they were hilarious. Um, but I do think there is a certain level to this of the NIL. I think there is the coaches feel like they have a little more freedom considering the players have some power now that the fact that they're getting paid six figures and the fact that they can up and leave in free agency at the end of the year, if they want to, I think the coaches are much more comfortable with saying, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm tired of your ass. If you don't like the way I'm doing things, if if you're not responding to this, we'll just get rid of you in the spring anyway, because you're a free agent. You can go wherever you want. It's probably what you're going to do on your own. I'm not worried about, uh, worried about your feelings and making sure you're okay with what I say about you in post-game press conferences. I think some of that is out the window. Now there's still a certain aspect of this of you got to recruit your own team. You got to make sure you can still get future recruits and you don't say anything too crazy in that regard. But from the standpoint of like completely protecting your own players and never throwing anyone under the bus or not holding them accountable in public. I think a lot of that is going to be, uh, looked at differently by coaches going forward because they they feel like a lot of the the power that they've held and the advantages they've held are kind of gone all of a sudden and so they I think they're a little bit on the offensive. Yeah, and, and I I think those that are not the ones that might walk on eggshells um, are going to get disappointed by a kid at the end of the year anyway. That he he may secretly say you know you know I'm trying to pump him up. I'm saying the right things about the kid. I'm hugging him around. I'm not I'm not over coaching him. I'm not in his face because I know that uh, he could leave at any moment. You know what? He might leave anyway. And maybe some coaches come to that realization. Screw it. They may leave anyway. I'll just replace him. Listen, I think Deion Sanders is a clown. I do, but I think he's the first one that made this real when he went into Colorado and said, "All oh, y'all better start looking to go play someplace else." And that's, that's the way of this world right now in NIL. Great point. And by the way, remember, we were talking about Rick Pitino's roster and how it was put together and everything. He hand-selected, the, he ran everybody off when he got St. John. He hand-picked all of these guys. And by the way, they over-signed 
by Malt. They two of those guys aren't even on scholarship. They're just getting enough NIL money that they didn't need the scholarship. So they have more than the typical 13 scholarship players on their roster right now. And yet yeah, he's complaining about how bad it is. Right. And that, that's the that's the big difference between, you know, my level, that level, is you can go handpick players. You know, so that, that that's that's part of it. And so, um, you know, if you're complaining about your roster, that's on you, my man. That is that is a you issue. Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears here. A couple of quick topics to get to with Red Spring training. And we'll touch on the Bengals briefly because you wrote something on Local 12 that I want to touch on. But first, Red Spring training. As you know, I'm not a big spring training guy, but I did think there was uh, something worth talking about this week when Ellie De La Cruz hit a foul ball into Hunter Green's window of his Maybach at the training facility while the two were facing off in in an at-bat. I mean, what are the odds on the timing of that, that the guy who fouls it into your Maybach is also the one you're pitching against at that moment? Can can, can I ask a simple question here? Maybe I'm just a stupid guy. I've been to that training complex. I know where you're going with this, and you're right. Can we not have player parking somewhere that's not in foul territory that could get hit by a car. It's not like I'm going to the local muni or the high school field where if I park by the fence, my car could get hit. I have to park far away and walk. I mean, what are we or, doing? Or more importantly, skinny, like, Can you we know, have a covered I, area? every dad that's listening to this podcast right now knows when they bought their new pickup truck, they parked in the last row of Kroger's for the first six months because they didn't want to get dinged. Exactly. Why, why are you parking a $300,000 luxury SUV where a foul, a weak foul ball could go right through the window? Yes. I mean, I, I guess if you've got the money to buy a $300,000 luxury SUV, you don't really care about a window. But I did not I did not see the picture of this, but I heard this yesterday. And I, I'm, I'm assuming it's true. I think our friend Mo Egger brought it up on his show, I, I think. Um, but I think, did Hunter Green show up yesterday in like a beater – uh, pickup truck. Oh, I missed that. If he did, okay, that's, right. that's yeah, funny. If he did that, that would um, be great. If he did that, that is a great touch, in my opinion. I did see that he had already tagged Safe Light yes. on social media with a social. I mean, how that's perfect, right? If you're one of the get Jack Glass or someone, get on that right away and just say, "Hey, we'll fix this tomorrow for you." Yep. I mean, that's that's a great opportunity to pair that up. I thought that was funny. I mean, we get so much just here's the thing about spring trading that drives me crazy skinny. We're in this local media market where everyone's budgets are like nothing. Everyone complains that they have no money. They can't hire people. No one can do do anything. And then yet every year I watch all the local sports media people fly out to Arizona, stay in hotels, be there all week, eat and you chunk it up to write things like, Here's why the Reds catchers are using stuffed animals during spring yeah. training. Yes, I'm with you. I, I, it, it, I think it's, it, it, it equates itself to training camp to me. It's silly season. It's um, absolutely meaningless. Someone did ask me to compile the uh, whatever we called them, meaningless spring training stories like we did for uh, training camp for Bengals. I, I did not actually have enough time to go through that. I will do that for next week's okay, show, whoever, right. whoever asked that cool. question. But um, I, I, will, I will say this. The, the one thing that has interested me, and I'm thinking about writing it for Friday. I, I don't know if I will or if I'll write a Bengals piece for Friday. But, um, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing of, you know, why did you sign Jamer Candelario? And you got so many infielders. And, you know, the Josh Harrison signing, what was that all about? Well, I, I think it shows you in today's baseball, for whatever reason, there's more injuries. And maybe it's – I don't know what the reason for that is. There's certainly more pitcher injuries. You don't get through a, a season like you used to with, here's my five-man pitching staff, and they're all going to make 32 starts. And we're good. And, and you know – most teams, I think the average last year was 14 or 15 starters that, eat, you know, if you average it out across the league, that the teams average 14 or 15 starters. So you better have starting pitching depth and you just better have depth in general. And you see it with Matt McLean's oblique, you know, Marty's hamstring. Again, these things may be completely resolved by the regular season. And then it'll be, oh, how are you going to fit all these guys in? You're not. And it's okay because eventually you're going to have to fit them in in all likelihood. 
Yeah, I wanted to bring Matt McClain up because you mentioned Matt McClain has the uh, oblique issue and it's the same injury he had that held him out late in last season in August. Um, and also, Noelvi Marte is recovering from a hamstring injury that he suffered at the Dominican Winter League. I'm not worried about Marte, but with McClain, when I hear oblique issue, my first thought is always nagging injury. Yes. Wasn't that what Johnny Cueto dealt with there for a while? Wasn't that so. an oblique thing? I just... For some reason, I always think when guys, when I hear the word oblique, it's something that keeps recurring with guys. And already we have that with Matt McClain here. And we're like, what, five or six months removed from when he last injured it. Is that a concern going forward all of a sudden? It has to be, because if you remember, he hurt that. I want to say because I wrote the, the story of him being out. I think it was August 26th was, was the last game he played. There was thought of activating him for like the last whatever week, 10 days of the season. And they decided, no, let's just shut it down. And that was the right thing to do. I mean, I get it. Um, so then you're thinking, all right, all this offseason, he's got all that time to rest it up and heal it up. And boom, right away, it's hurt again. Well, so we wait whatever the requisite days. I think it was five to seven they've talked about to rest him. And who knows, maybe it's longer, and that's fine too. But then it feels like all you're going to be doing is sitting on pins and needles going, when's he going to hurt it again? Because to your point, that that feels like a, a reoccurring injury. And I hope that's not the case because I love the way that kid plays. He's – I know Ellie's the, the 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 shiny star, and it's he's certainly a unicorn in a lot, a lot of ways. Matt McClain, to me, is just a baseball player. I mean, he's just a guy that's just going to – you're never going to go, boy, I wish I could get more consistency from Matt McClain. No, you're, you're always going to get consistency from Matt McClain. And that's what I'm worried about. He feels like a budding superstar. I mean, he feels like the guy and, – and like you said, I mean – The glue McC- guy, the complete total glue guy to your lineup, to your defense, to everything you want to do. Yes, Ellie is fantastic, and he could be an all-time superstar when it's all said and done with. But right now, I have the most confidence in Matt McClain developing into a cornerstone of this team. And if he has a nagging injury that derails all of this, and I know this is reading way too much into a little oblique injury in uh, spring training, but I'll admit, it has me a little worried. As far as, as much as I care about anything right now, I care about his his oblique injury. No, I'm with you. I I think it is a legit concern. Uh, one other quick thing I wanted to bring up with the Reds. Did you see this last week? Reds Hall of Fame pitcher Don Gullett died at yeah. the age of 73. That was one of those that I don't, maybe you've had these moments where you see someone died and it kind of freaks you out about how old you are all of a sudden. Because I was like, wait, Don Gullett was just a pitching coach like a few years ago in my mind. I remember seeing him run out to the field and he didn't look like a guy who was dying anytime soon. And now, I mean, that is that shocked me a bit. So I vaguely remember going to a Reds game in 1968 with my dad. We actually went to a kid glove game. It's one of those, I was five years old. I vaguely remember. He he did not participate participate in that game. My first real remembrance of watching baseball on TV was the 1970 All-Star game where Pete Rose bowled over Ray Fossey. And then that World Series where the Reds played the the Baltimore Orioles and a 19-year-old Don Gullett pitched in that World Series. And I remember him pitching because it's like, wow, this dude's only 19 and he's pitching in the big leagues. And then I heard he was, we were living in uh, New York at the time, but I was born here. We moved because my dad worked for the airlines. And I remember hearing he was born in Kentucky. And I thought, well, that was pretty cool. Oh, wow, this this guy from Kentucky. And yeah, and then you hear the passing. Um, his son's actually a local high school baseball coach. Um, I get a chance to see him in, in the Reds Future Showcase every year. Um, and, and my heart went out to that because I, I Don Gullett was just a, Unfortunately, the injuries derailed his career, but that guy was a phenom uh, of, a, of a baseball player. And, oh, just as an athlete, I think he still holds the Kentucky high school record for single points in a game in football. I believe he scored 72 points in a football game, a high school football game. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but someone said he was the best athlete that he ever played with yeah. any sport. And um, a Kentucky boy. 
Johnny Bench. Ball. Yeah, it was Johnny Bench. That's who it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. And Johnny Bench was not just a great baseball. Johnny Bench was a hell of, Johnny Bench could golf. Johnny Bench was a hell of a bowler. Johnny Bench was like himself, not just a great baseball player. Yeah. So uh shout out to Don Gullett, Kentucky boy, and and to his family. But that that's one that caught me by surprise. I just was not ready to see Don Gullett well, passing it. Um, and then the Bengals, Skinny. I mentioned that you had written something on Local 12 this week. It's titled, Why Bengals Are Paying the Price This Offseason for 2021 and 2022 Drafts. Take us through that a little bit. What was what was the overall point here? Yeah, all right. So, so this offseason, I think we can agree, the T. Higgins situation aside, let's just assume for argument's sake they franchise tag him, right? That takes care of one issue. But you still have to get a right tackle. You still need at least two nose tackles, rotational pieces, and a three technique to rotate with B.J. Hill. You need a veteran safety because you can't just go into this year hoping Dax Hill's better. You better have a fallback plan. You probably could use a veteran corner just for a depth piece. Some of these things you can fill through the draft, um, but some of these things should have already been in the pipeline to be filled. And if you go back to the 2021 draft, Jamar Chase, home run, no question. I mean, that, that first-round pick, the, the only debate that draft was him or Penny Sewell. And the funny part was, it looks like either way you would have gone, you wouldn't have failed because right. Penny Sewell's pretty good. But Jamar Chase, yeah. uh, great pick. I no qualms with that pick. Obviously, Evan McPherson. Um, but I don't look at filling your roster with a kicker as being a big deal. But, again, Evan McPherson's been more than good, and he's in line for an extension. Let's go through some of the other picks. Second round, Jackson Carmen. If you draft the guy second round, should he be at least in the mix at this point, if not a starter? You would hope he has a chance to appear in a football game for your team, and I would say Jackson Carmen does not. Yeah. Joseph Osai, who we still don't get the answer. We asked it numerous times this year. What's it, what, what, why is he not getting on the field? And it's the whole, well, he's been dealing, he didn't deal with injuries last year and um, really hasn't made an impact. Uh, you know, it looked like he was starting to at the end of 2022. Then he has the Patrick Mahomes penalty, gets hurt, has sir. I mean, but you know, again, he fell behind Miles Murphy, for goodness sakes. That's your third round. Shouldn't a third round pick at least at this point be in the mix? As you know, that one hurts me. Yes. I had high expectations I for my really. guy, Joseph Osai. All right, fourth round, you had Tyler Shelvin, who you would hope at this stage would be at least a rotational nose tackle. That would take part of the one piece I mentioned. You need two of them at the moment. Uh, he'd at least be, hopefully, he didn't even last two years. Didn't even last two seasons. Then we get to Deontay Smith, fourth-round pick. I don't expect a fourth-round pick to be a starter. You would hope, maybe. I mean, Cordell Volson was a fourth-round pick. He's starting, for goodness sakes. Deontay Smith didn't take a – he didn't – he wasn't active for a – he was active. He didn't take a single snap last year. Then we get to McPherson in the fifth round, and then sixth and seventh round. I don't have a lot of qualms with. I mean, that's Chris Evans and and, and Wyatt Hubert. Those are roll of the dice, and the Chris Evans was a great roll of the dice. It just didn't work out, but still didn't work out. Go to the 2022 draft, or 20, yeah, 20, Dax Hill, first round pick. Pretty much a slot corner in college, but you thought his athleticism and all that could make him into a safety, and it looks like you're trying to fit a, a, a square peg into a round hole. The one caveat I will say is maybe after this year, or maybe even as this year progresses, if Mike Hilton starts to show a little bit of age, maybe that's the right spot for Dax Hill, but right now safety is not the right spot for Dax Hill. Cam Dillard, second round pick, great. You found a starting cornerback, all good with that. Third round pick that year, and I'm now I'm drawing a complete blank on it. I have to look. I'll have to look it up. Who the heck was the third round pick that year? Oh, Zach Carter tried to make a defensive end in college into a three technique tackle. He bulked himself up, physically looked the part, and unfortunately didn't play the part. Now he did have the really nice play against Minnesota on that fourth and one sneak. He was a part of that, but one play does not a season make. That's your third round guy. Um, your fourth round guy is is was Volson. Volson. That's worked out okay, but I know a lot of fans don't think he's very good. I 
I think he's serviceable and he's been a solid starter. I haven't noticed him in a negative way a lot of times. I know PFF doesn't doesn't look at him very fondly, but I, I, I'm not going to crap on that pick. It was a fourth-round kid that has started 33 games in two years. Um, your fifth-round pick, you didn't have one that year, I don't believe, and then that takes us back to the sixth and seventh round. Ty- where you Tyson, Tyson oh, Anderson. Tyson Anderson. You didn't have a sixth-round pick that year. Yeah. Tyson Anderson, who um, has been a nice special teams player but has been consistently hurt, and when he's been healthy, he couldn't get a shot over – over Nick Scott or, or Jordan Battle, Jordan Battle leapfrogged him for goodness sakes. So those are two two drafts that should have been filling some of these holes, and it really didn't fill any. And that's where you, you when we start talking about like the holes on the defense, especially, that's where I feel like some of these misses are really glaring. Because, like you said, some of those backfills, the Joseph Osai, and maybe Miles Murphy will end up working out. Yeah. But that, that defensive line situation feels like a direct result of none of these guys paying out. Zach Carter. Well, then, then you had to extend Trey Hendrickson um, at, at mega dollars. And I don't mind that, but right. all these things are cause and effect. Listen, you were hoping. I really thought Trey Hendrickson's last year as a Bengal was going to be this past year because they had Osai in the pipeline. They drafted Miles Murphy. They were making preemptive strikes, but it didn't work. You know, at this, you had to, because Jackson Carmen sucked so bad because you haven't been, because Billy Price sucked so bad. And then you had all those other sucky offensive linemen. You you had to go out and spend mega dollars just to get a, 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 a okay offensive line for goodness sakes. You, you haven't been able to fill in any of those spots. Jackson Carmen should be starting somewhere on this offensive line right now if indeed you knew what the hell you were doing. And everybody questioned that pick at the time. That wasn't one that was like, hey, that's that's a heck of a pick. No, everybody's like, second round? He's probably a third-round graded guy, and now you're going to make him into a guard? Good luck with that. I mean, what are you doing? Right. That's the one thing I will say. I, I, I'll give the front office credit. They've done a really good job, and I wrote this in the piece. They've done a really good job, I think, identifying in free agency um, – a lot of parts, and I question the overspending of DJ Reader, as you remember on the on the podcast we did after that. And and to the credit of them, it was it was the right signing for probably the right amount of money. So shame on me, Trey Waynes. I'm going to give them a pass because the guy got hurt. But for the most part, you know, Mike Hilton has been more than a solid acquisition. Von Bell was a great acquisition. You can go on and on. Some of the best free agent signings in Bengals history have come in recent years. But at some point, you can't just go to the draft and go. Well, thank God Joe Burrow fell into our laps, and thank God Jamar Chase fell into. Our laps. You got to go find some dudes who can play. Yeah, the 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 Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase picks are easy. It's yes, it's, it's second, third, fourth round guys that you got to hit on a couple of those if you're going to be good at drafting. And and of late, they just haven't been able to do that. And so, what are you going to have to do this offseason? That's where the whole T Higgins conversation comes in. Well, that twenty million kid, you got a lot of places you could use that twenty million. I get it. Again, I've told you I wrote a column and. I can make a compelling argument why you don't. I can make a compelling argument why you do. Whatever happens, I'm just going to go, okay, I get it. Either way they do it. But they got a bunch of spots they got to fill, and you don't have enough money to do it all across the board. Um, and listen, I'm not plug-and-play draft guy like a lot of people are. I, I'm I'm more hopeful than I am plug-and-play guy, unless you're the first pick overall in a draft or you're the fifth pick, no doubt, wide receiver in a draft. Right. All right, let's get in some Ask Skinny Anything. We've got a handful of questions here. We'll start with, if Sean Miller leaves Xavier this spring, will Darren Horn slot in as the Xavier coach? I don't think so. Rick, you're closer to all that than I am. Uh, my, my own opinion, we talked about this last week, I, I think I think Chris Mack is a logical candidate for that. And I don't know, you know, you're, I, I don't want you to speak out of school because I know you're, you're pretty tight with Darren. You know, Darren 
went that coaching thing of, of coaching at Western Kentucky and then getting a big bite in the apple with the SEC at South Carolina, and it didn't work out. And then he went back to the assistant route, and now he's found a nice home at NKU, and he's, he's, he's built on something that, that, you know, that John Brandon kind of started to build. And to Darren's credit, it hasn't slipped. I know the record this year would suggest that, but there's mitigating circumstances to that, and they still have a chance, right? Um, does he want another bite at the big apple? I think so. I mean, okay. I, I I shouldn't. I'm not speaking for him, but I would think he would still have a lot of coaching left in him. And if if NKU continues to have the success that they're having, especially in the postseason, he's going to get an opportunity at some point to coach at a higher level again. And I would think he would take that opportunity. Now, I don't see Xavier necessarily being that fit. I'm not sure if Xavier is the the right opportunity to jump for. I, I I would feel maybe like it would be more, especially the part of the problem with all these situations, if you're looking to make a big move like that, Skinny, there's a reality of the future of college athletics that you have to take into account. And I do wonder if some people are just going to be like, I want to be in the Big Ten or the SEC, so I'm kind of uh, proofing myself against whatever future realignment there is or the football school separating from the NCAA altogether and forming their own thing. I mean, it felt like all that stuff was so far off a few years ago, but now here we are. It's like, if you told me in two years, all the football schools were leaving the NCAA and forming their own new organization, that wouldn't surprise me at all. So I I think you have to take some of that into account. Yeah. I don't know where those landing spots are. I mean, if I were to tell you that the the bottom two teams in the big 10 this year in basketball are Michigan at the bottom and Ohio state right above them. Would you believe that three years ago? No, hard years ago. No, hard to believe that. And both of those jobs may come open this spring as part of that. So um, it feels like there's going to be a lot of musical chairs this spring. Now, the question is, is that just uh, the way that the the sort of cycle fell? And so it just so happens that all these teams are kind of in a a precarious spot right now. Or is this the new trend that we're going to see because of all the money that's being poured into NIL and donors getting impatient with results and saying, look, you have the transfer portal, you have two to three million dollars to build your roster. You don't get three years or four years. You get one or two. And then we're moving on to the next guy. I do wonder if that's going to be a thing that continues to happen. And that's a slippery slope because oh, man, you could no be cycling through no coaches forever. Yeah, there's no guarantee that new guys going to be able to build a roster. And some years, honestly, um, you know, you may think you hit home runs in the transfer portal, and you may think your money was spent wisely. And to Rick Pitino's guys, they didn't pan out. Again, some of that's on him, but you know, maybe he thought these guys really could be a nice fit together. Maybe he's looking to build a, a roster and not just grab pieces. And he thought, okay, the sum of these parts is going to work. It didn't work. So is a new coach every time through going to fix that? I don't think you're wrong in what you're saying. I'm just saying you're maybe a year where you just have to bite the bull and go, we sucked in the portal. We'll do better next year. I agree with that, Skinny. I also think there's probably an advantage to someone who's willing to say, hey, if we have the time, if if you have confidence in me and you're willing to stick this out for four or five years, we're going to build this a little differently. And we are going to develop some guys and try to find some market inefficiencies and preps recruiting now because people have kind of gone away from that. I think there will be advantages to building it a more traditional way and doing it the quote unquote right way. Yeah. But I just think because you're going to have more donors getting more impatient, no firing doubt. coaches sooner, that it's going to lead to the coaches also doing things that maybe aren't to their to their benefit like Rick Pitino completely getting rid of his entire roster and bringing in a bunch of mercenaries for one year that may not work out consistently so here's the other thing then so what do athletic directors do when it comes to contracts with this stuff because you know if you're cycling through coaches so quickly how many multiple buyouts can you afford to have on the books 
Well, that that's part of it. How many big buyouts are you going to sign? The other thing, and we talked about this in football season, and I just continue to hear it constantly from basketball coaches now, and I'm thinking, when is someone going to smarten up about this? These coaches continue to lose games and then complain about their roster and their NIL situations and complain that they need more money from fans and donors to win. At some point, the athletic departments at these schools are going to say, well, wait, if you just need a bunch of money to fill, build a roster, I'll go get Fred. I'll go get Fred Foster from 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 Boise Tech. Well, why are we paying you eight million dollars right. a year? We'll pay you right. two million dollars a year, or someone else two million dollars a year, and we'll give the eight million to the NIL budget. We'll tell our donors to save their money for paying out buyouts and your salary, and we'll tell them to put all their money in our NIL collective. I and think that day of reckoning. Point, I think that day of reckoning is coming. It, it is coming. We heard Mark Stoops doing it all year. We talked about he's complaining while he's getting like top 10 or 15 money in the country. He's complaining about not having enough NIL money. Meanwhile, his recruiting results are in the 40s. It's like, hey, bub, like someone is going to want you to put up top 15 results if you're getting paid that way at some point. And uh, I just don't think the coaches are picking up on that. It's There's a day of reckoning coming because if you look at professionals, they don't get paid like their quarterbacks and their receivers do or in the NBA like their point guards and their centers do. So guess what? You're going to be in that same boat here pretty soon, especially if you decide to separate from the NCAA and all this stuff becomes more real in terms of players getting paid salaries and all that. So it's change is coming, and I don't think the coaches are picking up on all that yet. I don't either. Uh, is Skinny interested in watching Tiger Woods' son play golf? Um. Sure. I'm a big golf fan and, and, you know, watched him a couple of years ago when he was young, young, he looks like he's got some talent and, um, you know, I'd love to see another Tiger Woods come along to be quite frank. So yeah. I, yeah now, I, now he's, he's competing in his first P, PGA event, right? Or what event so, that yes. he could compete in or, or what? Yes. I don't know. I don't understand exactly how it works, but what is he doing? I saw this week that. Yeah. I think he's got a sponsor's exemption. I can't remember what it's in, but yeah, I think he's got something along those lines. Okay. So he, he is actually competing. I guess that's why this question was, was asked this week. There's a little um, guy. He was, I mean, when I saw him as a little, he, he, he's a good player. Did you see the video where they had the mannerisms of them? T- the two no. like back to back. It's unbelievable. The way he like twirls the golf club, the way he follows his putts after he hits them. Like, I mean, it is dead on the way they stand and sort of put the one hand on the hip and lean on the putter. Does, does he have the piece of tape around the, the, the two fingers usually to, to avoid the friction? I didn't see that, but I did see him like as they're walking to the next hole, flipping up a golf ball, catching it on the one finger or two fingers or whatever. And just kind of say, like, I mean, they had an unbelievable that's montage crazy. of them doing about 25 different things and it's identical back to back. So I do think it's going to be uh, nostalgic if nothing else for people to watch his son go out and golf. At what age should players begin to be recruited for various sports? Should there be some kind of cap? No, I mean, if, if listen, you're seeing eighth graders get offered baseball scholarships and, and sometimes, it's funny where that offer comes as an eighth grader. And by the time they're a senior, that offer's no longer on the table. It really doesn't mean much. It's cool to say I got an offer from such and such. Um, but no, I mean, if, if you're, if you're dumb enough to, to, to make a bunch of offers to sixth graders and then you start reneging all the time as they get older, somebody's going to, somebody's going to call you out on that. So I, I think you got to be a little bit careful with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess there doesn't really need to be a rule in place for the the point you just laid out that people are just going to think you're a clown and you're not going to have a job right. long if you do something like that. But if you are the type of person offering or even recruiting any player before they're in high school, you're a clown. I mean, you are a clown. There is no I, reason to watch anyone before they're in high school. I will say Louisville feels like it offers a lot of baseball scholarships to younger players. That's that the insane. offers made. It, 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 
it, it feels that way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just it's, it's hit a couple of guys locally that, that that I'm aware of, and maybe that's why. But it feels like they do that a lot. I mean, think about the amount of time and resources you're wasting by watching middle school players that virtually across the board have well, no chance. Yeah, you're watching probably in showcase events that you're probably watching older guys in anyway. But I, I get your point. It's just it's so strange to me to even be concerned about what an, a seventh or eighth grader is doing when I mean they still have four more years that you're going to have plenty of opportunities to see them play. And my goodness, the uh, physical develop the physical develop that's the thing. I mean, some kids do peter out in middle school that they've matured early and they don't get bigger, stronger physically. And a lot of other kids, the flip side of it is they get they do get more mature physically. Yeah. Who is the most misunderstood local athlete of all time? Hmm. That's a good question. I had my running with him, I, but I, Ken Griffey Jr. maybe comes to mind. And again, I had my own personal running with him from the radio days. Why, why, uh, why do you say Ken Griffey Jr. in terms of misunderstood? I, when you would talk to him alone, he was a, felt like a different guy. I mean, there was times in the locker room he was great. Um, and th- there was times he was brooding. And I think that brooding – and the fact, again, that all the injuries, I think fans held against him for whatever reason. And, um, you know, him playing on that – and that's where the run-in came because I, I said on the radio once that I – at the time that they need to move him out of center field, need to move him to a corner spot in the outfield. It was that point in his career, and he took umbrage to it. He, he was was very upset with it. And that, that's all well and good. It actually made national news, for goodness sakes. And that's all well and good. I, I don't think I was wrong to this day, but I do think the injury history was held against him and unfortunately, he played all those years on that friggin' concrete at the Kingdom, and I think it took its toll by the time he got here that it just it finally all came to fruition. And to me, I, I, he he did have the aspect of brooding superstar, but I think a lot of that was there was so much negativity because he was hurt, and I think fans held that against him, and maybe media did too to some degree. And I, I think that's that's where he was misunderstood. That's funny. I didn't remember him being um, like that with the media. I didn't remember. It was hot and cold, and those times yeah. was great. I, I do feel like he is one of the more underappreciated athletes in Cincinnati yeah. history because of what you, the the injuries. He was never quite the guy that Cincinnati fans thought they were going to be getting, even though he ended up being pretty damn good. It just coincided with he wasn't as good as everyone was hoping he was going to be, and the team didn't do what everyone thought the team was going to do during that stretch. Do you think that question was directed at, at the answer being Joey Votto or no? I didn't even think about that. Maybe. Could be. Do you, I did see that they uh, that someone said there's a door open to Joey Votto returning. Do you think that's no. realistic? Do you even think we should be talking about that? Like, why are we worried about Joey Votto when you already have way too many infielders? If Jamer Candelario gets hurt, if Christian Encarnacion Strand gets hurt, if Jonathan India gets hurt, if two guys in AAA who I don't even know I can give their names get hurt, then yeah, maybe the door's open in late July. No. Don't forget about Vossler. Don't forget yeah, about that's right. Hopefully he's around somewhere. Yeah. No, I, I just was kind of curious because it feels like that's kind of the recency of it. Because listen, Joey Votto is a for for a lot of fans is a, a lot of them love, a lot of them don't, a lot of them think he's a weirdo, right? Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's fair. I think most people again with Joey Votto are caught up in his like the analytics stuff yeah. and the style of player that he was. Yeah. The the guy who selfishly t- takes walks instead of maybe driving in a run. The, and it is, it's, I get both sides of that. I'm part of the, Hey dude, you know, as a, as a middle of the lineup hitter, you're, you're allowed to put a ball in play to score a run rather than take a walk. But I also understand the analytics of those. The big deal is don't make outs. And he 
he made far less outs than most, right? He got on base a ton. And yeah. that's part of the game too. So I go with the high, I go with the analytics to some degree, but I also go with, listen, man, there's one out, there's a guy on third. I'd rather you because you can put the ball in play, put it somewhere to get that guy home. We need to run more than you going to first base. I felt like most people thought Joey Votto was like a fun guy who loved baseball, loved the Reds and all of that. I didn't feel like most fans were against Joey Votto, the person. I felt like most no, of the people well, that were yeah. against him were mostly against his analytical approach and taking right. too many walks and not being the slugger that people wanted him to be. Uh, we'll yeah, wrap it up. What, what would your answer be to that question? Do you have one? I, I, you may say I'm crazy for this, but I would lean Chad Johnson. Yeah, because I leaned the camp of I thought he was a goofball. I yeah, I think most. I think well, I think there I are people. He's a narcissistic goofball. You at least think that. I think there are some people that equate him with like he's a typical receiver diva that was like a problem. And so, like I think he's very different from the typical diva receiver that has issues and is a hothead and is a pain in the ass to deal with. I think he was good to deal with but he was also a look at me narcissist like you said yeah i do think he frustrated carson palmer to a large degree I but mean, carson palmer was frustrated by everything he's the biggest loser of all time fair, carson fair palmer enough. actually that's the one most misunderstood most overappreciated athlete in the history of cincinnati is carson palmer bar right, none fair, fair enough there you go i got he's, you i got you out of your shell on that one. zero leadership this guy's an absolute loser uh what is the best girl scout cookie we'll wrap up with a good question there um, so I don't even know if they make these anymore because I haven't gotten Girl Scout cookies in a couple of years. And the last time that I did order them, I think the kids in the neighborhood have all grown up and gotten out of the Girl Scout game, um, were the lemon, the 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 lemon uh, iced cookies. The the like I, I think they got them. They call them lemonade something now. Yeah, I love those. I I used to get four boxes of those things, and I could sit and eat a whole one with a glass with a thing of milk and feel like a pig in a night. I use I love those things. That's the problem with Girl Scout cookies, man. What they are the Pringles situation. Once you pop, you just can't stop. It's like can't stop. It, I mean, the, just, you pull a sleeve out and you just go broop, broop, broop. Crap, the sleeve's gone. They, no, they no have figured out the perfect size of those things to make them both like f- way too high in calories, but yes. also you feel like you're just popping like a, a, a morsel of food. You know, I mean, it feels like nothing to eat an entire cookie. Their chocolate chip is underrated. I, I don't like all the other like I like I don't like the tagaloas or whatever the hell they are the the, the coconut one. I don't like any that's, of that. That's that's a it used to be a Samoa, but I don't know well, if that's yeah. like you can't say that in twenty twenty four or something because now it's called caramel delight. That's weird. That I liked it when it was Samoa. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling it a Samoa. That's I, I don't either. That's not what is that? What what? But it was bad branding or something. Caramel Delight really gets you going. It feels like I'm buying right. something from Dollar General. It feels like it's generic when you say Caramel Delight. I want the Samoa, the, the real, the authentic. If the lemon cookies are back on the marketplace, I, I hope that the, somebody from the Girl Scouts comes around the neighborhood. If, if I see them at, the, at my local UDF again, I'll hook you. I'll buy you a box you and stash them there away for you. I like that the, they used to be called tag-alongs. Now I think they're just called like peanut butter or something. I, but I the, don't like those. That's what I was thinking. Peanut butter with the chocolate over top? Yeah, no. No. What? I know. It's like a Buckeye in cookie form. What's wrong with you? And I, I'm somebody that can take a Hershey bar and dip it in a thing of Jif and eat it. I'm weird. Yeah. So, so, what, so what, what's wrong with the cookie then? I don't know. I, I don't like. So I don't like peanut butter cookies. I love eggs, and I can't stand egg salad. Go figure. That is par for the course with you, my man. I know it. I I fully realized that. All right, that's all we got. All right, thanks for the questions. We'll be back next week uh, as we continue with the college basketball season. Hopefully the locals can can give us something good to talk about for a change. We'll figure that out. What's left? 
<laughs> What's yeah. left other than maybe UK getting hot? Yeah. Well, conference tournaments, they're not too far yeah. off. The North. They're, they're closing in. Yeah, go North tonight. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, presented by Blake, the attorney Mason.